0: we want to continue our study in the book of Revelation and we're looking at chapter 14. We looked at the first six verses or first five verses of this chapter back when we looked at chapter 7. The first five verses deal with hundred and forty-four thousand. He says in verse 1, I looked and lo a lamb stood on the Mount Zion and with him hundred and forty-four thousand having the father's names written in their forehead. In Revelation chapter 7 it tells us that the hundred and forty-four thousand there were twelve thousand from each of the twelve tribes of Israel. And these were those that were redeemed. The Bible says they're, they had the Father's name written upon their forehead. Verse number 3 says they were redeemed from the earth. They were also virgins. It said they, were, they which had not been defiled with women, for they were virgins. And then again, he says in verse 4, they were redeemed. He says they were the first fruits unto God. These were the, the, the Jews, the Bible says, to the Jew first. So these were the first ones saved during the tribulation. And uh, they preach the gospel, and many people will be saved. There'll be a great uh, coming to Christ during the, revi- during the tribulation period. And uh, so we looked at those first five verses already. So we're going to pick up with verse number 6. And in this last part of the chapter, there are at least six different angels that are involved in this scene. Each of them have a particular message that they are going to proclaim to the people during the tribulation period. Verse number 6 He says, and I saw another angel. If you want to mark these angels, you can just circle that, another angel. And he said, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach. Let me say, first of all, I'm glad we have an everlasting gospel. Amen? That means, since it's an everlasting gospel, the gospel has always always been the same. It's everlasting past, it's everlasting future. Everybody that's ever gotten saved has always gotten saved the same way, and that's through faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. And so they're preaching an everlasting gospel, he says, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people. The Bible several times in the book of Revelation talks about the people praising God, and it says there are people from every kindred, and nation, and tongue, and people. And sometimes we wonder if there was they tell us that there's... About half of the world's population that do not have the Bible in their own language. So, how are we going to have people saved from every kindred and tongue and nation? Well, one of the ways is because these angels are going to be preaching the gospel during the tribulation period. I think another way we're going to have people from every kingdom, kindred, and nation, and tribe, and tongue, I think is one of the, it's probably the only good thing, if any good thing can come out of all the abortion, all, I believe all those babies are going to heaven. And there'll be people from every kindred and every nation and every tribe and every tongue that will be in heaven as a result of that. Verse number seven, saying with a loud voice, fear God. The Bible tells us in Proverbs and in Psalms, the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord, isn't it? And they're going to preach, fear God and give glory unto him for the hour of his judgment cometh and worship him that made heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So here we have, first of all, the first message that is being proclaimed, and that is judgment is come. Judgment is come. Not judgment is coming, it is come. At this point, judgment is already there. During the present age that we live in today, angels are not privileged to preach the gospel. God has given that responsibility to you and me. We're to take the gospel. He said to us, go ye, there, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's our job. But during the tribulation, he's going to choose some angels to preach the gospel. And while the nations will fear the beast and give honor to him, the heavenly messenger that's given here will encourage them to fear God and to honor him. And so he tells them to do that. He tells them that they are in verse number 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of judgment is come. This is a reminder to them that God is the Creator. And they're to fear Him. They're to worship Him. He is the one that deserves our worship. Now, this is not the gospel message as we know it. Not in that it's a different gospel. It's the same gospel. But what's the difference in their message? Their message is a return to Romans chapter 1 and verses 8, 10, and 20. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth of ungodliness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, these angels are going to be reminding them that creation bears with it a witness to the existence of our God as well as to his power and to his wisdom. You know, the fact that the Bible says the heavens declare his glory, the fact that creation declares certain things of God is one of the reasons why our world fights so much against creation. They want us to swallow evolution and to believe that it's true. And we know the Bible's true, amen? And God created us, made us in the image of God, created he us, made us. So the message of this angel is that he's calling them back to basics. God is the creator. Worship and serve him. He's the one that is worthy of our worship. And I'm thankful in America that we have freedom of religion, but we have a lot of religions in our, in our country that are getting away from worshiping the true and the living God, the God upon which this nation was founded. And in this tribulation period, this angel is going to be saying, Get back to the basics of worshiping the Creator. In Romans chapter 1, he says that men begin to worship the creature more than the Creator. And that's what we see in our world today. The fear of the Lord, not the fear of the beast that they're dealing with here in Revelation, is the beginning of wisdom. So the first message of the first angel is judgment has come. The second message is Babylon is fallen. Look at verse number 8. And there followed another angel, if we want to circle that phrase, another angel, there's the second angel in this passage, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So God tells us here, and the angel is preaching the message, Babylon is fallen. This message, your proclamation, points to some events events that will be given in Revelation chapter 18, so we'll get to that in in a few chapters when we get over there. We'll study it more then. Babylon is God's name for the world system of the beast. The beast, of course, is the Antichrist, and he has the world system that is following after him. And the entire economic and political organization by which this beast or the Antichrist rules is summed up in this name of Babylon that's given to us here. The harlot, we'll see more about that when we get into chapter 17, The harlot is the religious system that the beast uses that will help to build his organization. When the Antichrist establishes his own religion, he will destroy the harlot. Go back with me just a a few verses. Go back to chapter 13 and look at verse number 11. Chapter 13 and verse 11. It says, and another beast. Now, the, the beast is the Antichrist. The other beast is the false prophet. He comes up out of the earth and had two horns like a lamb As he spake, and he spake as a dragon, and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him that causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship, the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. We talked about that previously. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles. Let me say this, not all miracles come from God. Amen? Amen. God can work miracles, and he still does work miracles today. But not all miracles come from God. These are coming from the, from the false prophet. He said, uh, by the means of those miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast. So they're going to make this image to the beast, which hath the, had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, so that's kind of interesting. He makes this image, and we talked about this earlier, and it comes to life. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So this this image this image is made, and they're getting people to worship the, the image of the beast, which represents, of course, the beast, the Antichrist. And so all of this has to do with the religious system. The religious system that is there in place, the, the, the Antichrist is going to Destroy that, and he's going to set up his own religious system. And that religious system, which is part of this Babylon system that he talks about here, God's going to destroy that. God's going to take care of that. It is he that will deal with that. So the second angel's message is Babylon is fallen, and we'll see more about that later on as we go on through the book of Revelation. Third message, verse number nine, it says to us, And the third angel followed them. The message of the third angel is this it is escape. God's wrath. Their judgment has come, and this angel is saying, escape God's wrath. He says to them, the third angel, verse number 9, followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast, that's the Antichrist, and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of the indignation, that he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. And then verse number 12, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. That's the tribulation saints. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Now this third angel is speaking, and he's saying to them, Escape God's wrath. It is a message that's being sent, especially to those who are choosing to follow the beast, the Antichrist. Now remember, We use the term Antichrist because he is going to set himself up as Christ, as the Messiah, as God. He's not Christ. He's not going to call himself Messiah. I mean, Antichrist. He's going to call himself the Messiah. And so he sets himself up and gets people to worship him. And, And as a result of that, the message here is. Escape the wrath of God, because if you follow the Antichrist, and if you take his mark on the forehead or on the, on the wrist or the hand, that will be the very thing that brings about the wrath of God upon you. So it's a warning. It's a warning that the easy way is really the hard way. To go along with the world means to go away from God. And you know what? That's true today, isn't it? It's still the easy way is not always the best way, is it? Sometimes it's the hard way in following the Lord and doing what's right and going against the system of the world. And in our world today, when we follow the world, we're going against God. Matthew 7 puts it this way in verses 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. God says to us today, there's a straight and narrow way. There's a hard way. There's a broad, easy way that many follow that lead to destruction. But it is the straight and narrow way, the way that God wants us to go, that leads to life eternal. James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. God says, we've got to make a choice in our day-to-day to to follow God or follow the world. And he said, if you choose to follow the world in its ways, you become an enemy of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an enemy of God. Amen? I want to choose to follow him. I want to be a friend of God. I want to be on his side and follow his ways. 1 John 2, verse 15 says this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. When we choose to do God's will, God says that's when we abide forever, when we follow his ways and do what he wants. Now look back at verse number 9 for just a moment, and it speaks of this third angel. It says, The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and the image and receive his mark in his forehead and in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now the fact that he says, if any man, gives us the idea that there's a possibility during this time for people to repent. It's not too late yet. It's not too late. And he says, if any man worship the beast, the word worship there is a verb that's in the continual action. It indicates that at this point there is still opportunity for salvation. There's still opportunity for repentance. If they will follow the true and the living God and not this antichrist and this false beast or image that's set up. In fact, he says, if they take the mark of the beast, that during the tribulation period is the unpardonable sin. It's too late. For us today, the unpardonable sin is to die in our rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that we can be forgiven of rejecting Christ and be saved, amen? But if you die having rejected Jesus, there's no opportunity to be saved beyond the grave, beyond death. In verse number 10, he speaks of drinking the cup. That's used to a picture of the judgment of God. They're drinking of the wrath of the judgment of God. Look back up at verse number 8. He says, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 15 says, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto me, take the wine cup of of this fury at my hand and cause all nations to whom I send thee to drink it. During this tribulation period, all nations are going to experience the wrath of God that is poured out upon this earth. Jeremiah 51 and verse 7 says, Babylon hath been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the the earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine, therefore the nations are mad. Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. Howl for her. Take balm for her pain. If so be, she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go everyone into his own country, for her judgment reacheth unto heaven, and is lifted up even to the skies. You see, God's final judgment is pictured as these vials of wrath poured out from heaven, and we'll see more of that again in Revelation chapter 16. But it's interesting, when this judgment is poured out, God will not mix mercy with this judgment. If you remember, we talked earlier about Psalm chapter seventy-eight or 75 and verse 8, it says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture, and he poureth out of the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. And Habakkuk 3.2 says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. Now notice this, he says, In the midst of the years make known, in wrath remember mercy. I'm glad today God still remembers mercy, amen? When this judgment comes in Revelation in the tribulation period, there'll be no mercy. It will be poured out upon those nations and those people who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and have rejected the God of the Bible and the God of heaven, and there will be no mercy mixed with with that judgment. At this judgment, God will pour out His undiluted indignation. He'll pour out that upon this rebellious world that has turned their backs on God. Look at verse 10, the end of verse number 10. He says, um, he's going to pour out the wrath of God, in verse 10, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And notice this, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. He talks about fire and brimstone and smoke. You know, that upsets some people today. They don't like to hear about fire and brimstone. They laugh at the fire and brimstone preacher, don't they? And people who talk about everlasting punishment and hell. The world today laughs about that. They say this, how can a God of love actually permit his creatures that he has created to suffer an eternal uh, torment? We need to remember that God's love is a holy love. He's a holy God. And His holy love is not based on sentimentality. Therefore, He has to justly deal with sin. He deals with it properly. We may not like the word torment, but it's here in the book of Revelation. If you go back a few pages, look at chapter 9 and verse number 5. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 5. It says, "...and to them it was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented five months. And their torment was the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man." Torment is mentioned there. Again, in chapter 11, in verse number 10, he mentions it. He says in chapter 11, verse 10, "...and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell upon the earth." That's talking about the two prophets. Do you remember we we talked about earlier? They were killed and they laid in the streets for, for three days and then they were raised again. And he says they tormented the people. How did they torment them? They were preaching the truth and preaching about their sin and their wickedness and their evil. Look at chapter 20 and verse number 10. Revelation chapter 20, almost the end of the book. Verse 10, he says, And the devil that deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. See, this beast we're talking about in chapter 14 and the false prophet, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire and shall be, what's the next word? Tormented. How long? Day and night for ever and ever. Tormented day and night for ever and ever. Let me share with you some questions that are raised by unbelievers about this, or by those who seek to deny the doctrine of eternal punishment. The first question many people ask is, is this literal fire? Is this literal fire? And I would give you the answer, absolutely, yes, it is literal fire that he's talking about here. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, the Lord gives the interpretation of that back in Matthew chapter 13. And we won't go back there for just a moment moment this morning, but you can look at it later on your own. The wheat represents the children of the kingdom. The tares represent the children of the wicked one. The harvest in that parable is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And the gathering of the wheat into the barn is the gathering of the righteous into the kingdom. And then he talks about the tares. Let me read just a a couple of uh, verses at the end of that passage. In Matthew 13, verse... Verse number 40. And listen to what he says about the tares. They are the ones who are unbelievers, who are are not saved. Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 40. (coughs) Excuse me. Matthew 13 and verse 40. And he says this. He says, And as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so that it be in the end of this world, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, that they shall gather out of the kingdom all things that offend and them that do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Every symbol in that parable the Lord gives, as you read through it, he explains what each thing is. He tells what the tares are, he tells what the wheat is, tells what the harvest is, he tells what the reapers are, but the only word that he doesn't explain or tell what it is, is fire. And the reason for that is that the meaning for fire is, guess what? Fire. It's fire. The fire is fire. Fire is literal fire. And so there is a well-known Bible law of biblical interpretation that says that if it is so much more terrible than what can be explained, and there's no word in the English language to explain it, And the Lord gives to us something that we can associate, that we understand, and that is fire. And so the the nearest thing to the divine fact of, of fire that we can understand is simply the word fire. And if anything, it is worse than what we understand what fire is all about. The second question is, would this fire consume or burn up its victims and end the consciousness of their torment? what some religions teach, annihilation. People, they believe, yes, people die, they go to hell if they reject Christ, but they burn up and it's all over. Is that what this passage of Scripture says? Absolutely not. This is not annihilation. In fact, he says it a number of times over and over again. The smoke of their torment ascended up, how long did we read? For ever and ever. The God who raises the body of the believers and gives us a glorified body so that we can live forever with the Lord, raises the lost who are raised to, to judgment and gives them a body that will experience the fire of His torment forever and ever. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, the Bible says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. John 5:28 and 29 says, Marvel not at this, For the hour is coming in which all they which are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of the damnation. If you look back at our verse, verse number 11 in our text, it says, Whosoever receiveth the mark of His name, He talks about those, and He says at the beginning of the verse, The smoke of their torment ascendeth forever and ever. That little term, forever and ever, one commentator said this, he said, it is a picture not merely of years tumbling upon years, but of ages tumbling upon ages in endless success. He went on and said, it is never in a single instance used in the Bible of a limited period. Nothing could more plainly or graphically picture absolute endlessness. A lost person who dies and goes to a place called hell, a place called the lake of fire, will be in a place that has endlessness. It lasts forever and forever. The Lord, in speaking to the people in the gospel of Mark, said in chapter 9, verses 43 and 44, he said, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not Keep in mind, God has repeatedly warned us over and over again through His Word and through preachers, and, and now in Revelation, He even sends angels to go and preach. He warns them of the judgment to come, and He tells us to turn from our sins and repent and not have to face the judgment of the wrath of God on sinners. And when a person dies and goes to hell, it's not a matter of a loving God sends a a, a one of his creatures to an eternity in torment in hell forever and ever, the only person they have to blame is themselves. They have rejected the warnings of God that's been given to them over and over and over and over. And I believe God intends for us to, know, to see and understand the contrast that's given here between verses 11 and verse 14. Look at verse 11 again. The smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, And notice this, they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So the person who dies and goes to hell, the Bible says they have no rest forever and ever. I've heard people say to me, oh, all my buddies are going to hell, so I'm going to go too. We're going to have a big party. No, there's not not going to be any party in hell. Remember that word torment? Forever and ever, no rest. There's no rest for them forever and forever. And then look at what it says in verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead. Big difference in those that die and go to the lake of fire, isn't there? Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Those who know the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, and they may, what's the next word? Rest from their labors and their works do follow them. God says there's no rest for the wicked. But he said there's endless rest for the child of God. When you give your life to Jesus Christ and trust Him as your Lord and Savior, you get to enjoy rest for all of eternity. It's better to reign with Christ forever than with the Antichrist for just a short period of time. It's better to endure persecution patiently now than to escape it now and suffer the torments for all of eternity. In verse 13, there are actually two words that are used for work here. He talks about they rest from their labors, that's the first word, and their works do follow them. They rest from the toils. That first word labor deals with the toil, the wearisomeness, the hardships of life. It's not talking about rest from the activity of life, but you rest from the weariness of it. There'll be rest from the weariness of work. How many of you have worked a hard day and you came home in the evening and you were just worn out, exhausted, you were weary? Well, in the, when we get to heaven, we'll be able to work all day and not be weary, not be tired. There'll still be activity going on in heaven, but we won't know the fatigue that we face here on earth. Heaven will be a place of great growth. It'll be a place of development and increased knowledge and increased service. I heard one fellow say, I can't wait to he- get to heaven. I'm going there and do nothing forever and ever. <laughs> You're not going to do nothing forever now. There's going to be a lot to do up there. And we'll enjoy the works that God has for us there. And then there's a a fourth message that's given in verse 14, and that is that the harvest is ripe. He says, I looked and behold a white cloud. That's the Shekinah glory of God. And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. Who's that? It's Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is on that white cloud. Having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. That first sharp sickle that's mentioned there is the salvation sickle. It's the salvation sickle. Verse 15, another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap of the harvest of the, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. This sickle, the harvest of the earth is ripe. The word ripe means dried. It's ready for harvest. And he that sat on the cloud, the Lord Jesus, thrust in his sickle in the earth, and the earth was reaped. What was the Lord doing? He's reaping salvation, the harvest of people during that tribulation period that are coming to him. But look at verse 17. Another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. This sharp sickle is the damnation sickle. You have the salvation sickle, but now you have the damnation sickle that's given in this verse. And another angel came from the earth, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud voice, and had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. That fully ripe means they're rotten, they're past ripe, past due, overdue. These are those who have waited too long for salvation. They've rejected the Savior. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even of the horse's bridle, by the space of 1,600 furlongs. Here's an amazing thing as we come down to this battle of Armageddon that is going to take place. And the Lord talks about the sickling. He talks about the wine, the wrath of his, of his judgment and so forth. The image here is a picture of God's judgment. And He permits the seeds of iniquity to grow. One of the mysteries is why that will answer, we'll get answered in heaven. Why does God allow iniquity and wickedness to grow side by side with righteousness and godliness? And why doesn't why God just wipe out all the iniquity and wipe out all the evil people? Well, We'll have to wait till we get to heaven to get the answer for it. But this grape harvest here is a harvest, a picture of judgment. Joel 3.13 says, put, in, "...Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great." The Bible portrays three vines for us. The first one is Israel. Israel was God's vine planted in the land To bear fruit for God's glory. God put Israel here to bear fruit for His glory. But the nation of Israel failed and God had to cut that vine down. Isaiah chapter 5 talks about that in verses 1 through 7. Today, there's a second vine the Bible talks about in John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the vine. And ye are the branches. Today, Christ is the vine, and believers are the, va- are the branches. We're grafted into Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third vine that's mentioned in the Bible is the world system is also a vine. It's the vine of the earth, in contrast to Jesus Christ, who is the heavenly vine. This wicked system, this Babylon, that intoxicates people and controls them, you don't think people are intoxicated and controlled by the world system. All you've got to do is just listen to the news a little while and you find out. That's true today. But one day that vine will be cut down and destroyed in the winepress of the wrath of God. And this harvest is a picture of the Babel of Armageddon. when the armies of the world will come against the city of Jerusalem. Zechariah 14 and verse 1 says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh and they... Thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east and on the Mount of Olives, shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west and shall be a very great valley and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it towards the south. And when this battle of Armageddon takes place, verse 20 tells us that there is going to be a river of blood. It says to us that it is under the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. That's about four feet deep and about 200 miles long. Can you imagine a river of blood like that? Today, God is speaking to this world in grace and mercy. And He's inviting us to come to Him. But one day, God will speak to the world in wrath. And He'll pour out His wrath. And the bitter cup will be drunk, and the harvest of it reaped. And the vine of the earth will be cut down and cast into that wine press, and The judgment of God will be poured out. So these angels are telling us judgment is come. In their day, it's here. In our day, we look and we know God's judgment is coming, but thank God we still have mercy and we still have grace. And then they said Babylon is fallen. The world system, one day this world system, which is getting worse and worse all the time, amen, it's going to fall one of these days. And the message is escape the wrath of God. It's eternal fire. He'll not consume you or annihilate you. Escape the wrath of God. The harvest is ripe. Get saved now while you can, while you still have the opportunity. Come to Jesus Christ. Trust Him as your Savior. And thank God those of us who know Him as our Lord and Savior will never have to face this wrath because when all of this tribulation is taking place, remember, we're already out of here. Amen? At the beginning of it, the rapture takes place and the saved are caught up together to be with the Lord. And the Bible says, we'll forever be with the Lord. Aren't you glad you're going to escape that wrath? All of us have friends and loved ones who are not ready for that. And we need to do our best to warn them of the wrath to come and point them to the true and the living Savior. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the warnings. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. You've given us ample time. If the rapture took place today, we've had more than enough time to come to you and plead for mercy and get saved. I pray that if there's any here that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, that they'll settle it today and come and be saved and prepare for eternity with you and not have to face the torment of the fire forever and ever. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with me as we sing our song of invitation? As we sing all to Jesus, I surrender. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, if you've not settled this matter, come and get saved today while you still have the opportunity. While there's still mercy, there's still grace, you come while we sing. There may be some of you who want to come and pray for some loved ones or friends that are not saved, and ask God to help you to win them to Christ. Maybe there's some things in your life you need to deal with. We invite you to come as well. If God's speaking to your heart, you come while we sing on that first verse.